0: Ah. Been like I saying that already, Joe? Making I listen. Well, well. Simple. I just to my blessing I don't say be the lesson. Body be perfect puzzle. Prisoners whose cells are joined communicate with each other by knocking on the wall. The wall is the thing which separates them, but it's also the means of how they communicate. Every separation is a link. In a Village Boys, we explore the separation of the black culture because we understand that by bringing it to light, we will recreate links that will eventually unite us all back together. Welcome back to another episode of The Village Boys. Thanks so much for bearing with us last week, by the way. I know we didn't record an episode. We had logistical difficulties, but we made sure to make it up for you. Make it up to you guys this week and bringing you some heat. So last episode, we, we did a book review of post-traumatic slave syndrome where we talked about, if you remember epigenetics, reconnecting with the roots, morphing of slavery. So this episode, we decided why not interview an actual therapist and talk to her more about these concepts. So we interviewed a, a candidate for a doctoral program. She's already a therapist, extremely smart lady. So we go into more details about epigenetics and what that actually looks like from a therapeutic standpoint. And also racial identity development to understand that in layman terms, basically, is how minorities develop themselves into accepting who they actually are from a cultural and racial perspective. So make sure you stay tuned all the way through the end. And I promise you guys, you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the village. It's your typical big boy, Chukwemekai. It's your boy Victor Soko Wachisado. It feels I, so different saying it with the video, doesn't it? it definitely does. It definitely. Does. But it's is 2021, and we have a very special guest, Olua, Olua Jasmine. <laughs> is that how you're name? Olua Jasmine. Oh my gosh. Our first guest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, ma'am.
1: I am Jasmine Felicia McGee.
2: I didn't even know that was your middle name. Yes.
1: Her,
2: her Nigerian name is uh Uluwai Jasmine. Uluwai Jasmine. We'll stick with that one. <laughs> oh, <my gosh.
0: laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> oh Jasmine is a she she comes to us from Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so if you like young Dolph and Yogati you know she she comes from where they come from wow. your guys your favorite uh artist mm-hmm. favorite rapper kind okay. uh comes to us she she's in Georgia
1: mm-hmm.
0: now going to uh, uh professional school i would say it that way or grad school continuing in grad school to being a or to becoming a counselor mm-hmm. A therapist Chris a a, doctor, a psychologist
1: a psychologist yes a
0: guru. So, so i think i think this would be a great conversation Well, this would be a great person to have on our our podcast especially from our last episode um, which she could help us continue that conversation yeah. um, and help us understand more about you know the 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 things we talked about like epigenetics yeah. you know, transgenerational trauma um you know cultural identity
2: things of that nature so uh I'm
0: I'm ready to get it I'm ready to get a pop it
2: popping. Yeah I'm ex- I'm super excited about this episode because I think a lot of the things I've learned from Jasmine I was kind of stealing her bag on the last episode. Yeah because I was saying, I was kind of like saying a lot of things I've heard from her in a sense. Yeah. And um also we've tried to record this like it's like this is our third time, right? Yeah. Just so yeah, so, so, <laughs> so thirty times. So like the first two episodes were like phenomenal episodes, and I feel like this one is going to be phenomenal, phenomenal as well. So I'm really excited for the world to finally hear the conversations we had and just kind of further in the conversation because it flows so perfectly from mm-hmm. last conversation and the timing of this interview. So sure, right. sure. And they got the nip
0: and, and and the Kobe in the background. He did that. All yeah, yeah, I had to had to show that off a little bit. Yeah, Too long. Uh, so, Jazz, yeah, let's get straight into it, man. Like, what what, what was it about psychology that attracted you to that field? Why, psych- why psychology?
1: Yeah, I personally have always been really interested in just, like, individual differences and what motivates people. Yeah. Um, I'd say that was just kind of the springboard um, that catapulted me really into the field in general and just, you know, of course, along the way, taking psychology courses in undergrad and then going on to get a master's in counseling. That just really kind of helped along the way. Um, I also really love Black people. And I recognize that um, though we are a resilient bunch, you know, I recognize a lot of things within my family um, that just weren't always healthy um, and that kind of kept us stuck in a lot of ways, um, especially compared to the dominant culture. And so I was just really interested in learning more about that and how I could actually contribute to healing.
0: Hmm. This is, this is a hot take. I feel like undergrad does not do a good job of introducing psychology to students. I agree. man. Because hear me out. I thought I was interested in psychology. I want to learn more about it. So I took a course, and then I think my freshman or sophomore year and the teacher who was teaching it was just so boring. And just like the only thing I remember from my class was Pavlov's dog. All I remember and like, the experience we do with the dogs. And that was it. And, I, and it was something about I forgot. It was another one about babies. But that was all I remember from that class. And and I'm just like, why am I here? You know? And, and so after that, I was like, nah, psychology is not for me. Yeah. And then literally fast forward, like almost 10 years later, I'm like, I freaking love psychology. So maybe that, that's just my I think that's my opinion. I just nah. grad
2: does not do a good job. of I think you're right, because I had sim literally the same experience. Um, yeah. Like I've always been naturally interested in like people's minds and why people do the things mm-hmm. they do. But like I took that psychology class, I'm legit. I used to like fall asleep in class, bro. Like people, like my teammate would have to like tap me, like "Dick, wake up!" type shit. And like, I'm I'm gonna snitch on myself right now. I would cheat on all the like all the tests because it was just not interesting. And like, it's so funny because both of us after college are like super interested in psychology, and we read all these psychology books, and like we could read all day about it. But like when it was in like the confinements of class, or maybe it's just the teacher that taught us. But it was the same thing for me. It was just like nah, bro. It's just right. <laughs> it just wasn't it wasn't clicking in my head.
0: It was not. It was not. How did you like? How did you do it, Jazz? Like
2: was it did it just click for you automatically,
0: or was it something you had to like really read into?
1: Because I always kind of had like that desire. Like I will be honest, there were some very boring psychology courses that I taken, um, and that's why I think you kind of have to separate the course from the teacher. Um, some people are just not good at teaching the material in, to a large group of people that have varying learning styles. Um, and so that's one of the reasons. I, yeah. I, uh, but I would say from like my master's degree to now my Ph.D., I've had some excellent Professors and so, like the material, you just we just go from this really big intro to site course where you got like a thousand kids in the class or whatever to now it's like very narrow focus of um, different groups and things like that. We really get to get down into it versus that broad stuff. So I would say just the longer you stick with it, the more interesting okay. it becomes.
0: I think it's fascinating you mentioned and ironic too because you mentioned how teachers may not really take into consideration like the learning styles of their students. Yeah. It's because they're teaching psychology and that's like literally psychology, right? <laughs> uh, but, but... <laughs> in, a way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a way, right? So, but I don't think like they're essentially psychologists. So maybe they may not fully know.
1: Some are, most are. Okay. If you're teaching um, undergrad, you have to have, you know, at least a master's, a PhD Often, um, or be a grad student, like I teach also, I teach undergrads. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most are psychologists yeah. either by degree or by license. Mm-hmm. By license. Yeah.
2: I think, I think that goes with every like, like field in life. I think some people could just are just naturally good at something, they cannot explain it fully to somebody else. And there are people that are not as good at something, but like they're just phenomenal teachers, they can like pass on that information very well. And it's the same way with like soccer or whatever. I've had coaches that were like played professionally or whatever, but they weren't great coaches because they expected us to replicate their style of teaching, their style of playing or whatever. And in reality, you're not gonna replicate a professional player style. So I think it goes with teaching as well. Some people are just naturally more gifted in that field regardless of how much knowledge you have, like, so. It's like Michael Jordan trying to coach. I don't think he's Yeah, player. man. <laughs> Tell you get up, just get out get out the gym, bro. Yeah. You, you can't I'm dunk from the free throw line, bro.
0: <laughs> you can't you can't make free throws blindfolded? <laughs> nah that's just you, bro. <laughs> um so jazz, typically some some people, I think a lot of people usually stop at the master level, right? What made you Want to keep going until the the doctorate level in psychology.
1: Um, so my master's allowed me to become a LPC, a licensed professional counselor. Um, and so um, I just kept going right after I finished. Like that process takes like licensing and a couple years of practice and everything. But I wanted to go straight through, and that's because I wanted to get more specialized training, and I wanted to be able to reach a broader Group of people based on the setting that I'm interested in working in. So, to clarify all of that, I want to really gain more research experience to be able to work with a specific population. I also want to work in healthcare. And oftentimes, having a master's degree in counseling, there's not a lot of like the trajectory isn't always right into a healthcare setting. Like, there are not very many like jobs or career like. In that setting, psychologists are often more embedded in that setting, so it just made sense for my natural like career path for me to take the PhD route.
0: Yeah, that's really cool um, because you know in your in your uh, bio it says you know healing is a form of activism, right? Mm-hmm. So, is is that where you kind of came up with that saying like because you You've been able to see like the benefits of healing. Let's say, like in the healthcare industry, things like that, and and how they can really empower you to to be the best version of yourself, right? For, for you, where did that come from?
1: Yeah, healing is a form of activism. I actually got that quote from Yasmin Cheyenne. Um, mm-hmm. She's a bit of a, uh, I Found her initially on social media, but she's an author. She has like a really cool book on like self care and healing and things like that that she facilitates. But um, it, what really struck me the most by it was to actually overcome the things that get in your way. To actually like heal, first of all, is a um, a form of I think liberation, um, and to do that authentically unapologetically is will continue to like take you above the status quo in a way like okay i can just continue to live my life on this level down here and just move through life and allow all the systems and all the people and the oppression and the racism and all of that i can remain subject to it um or i can fight the status quo narrative that's been out there about myself, my identities, my multiple identities. Um, and I can actually like forge a, you know, in a sense, be an activist, you know, for that. And so that's kind of what I thought about. I felt like to to heal is almost like a form of like rebellion, right? Um, against the narratives, you know, that are in the stereotypes out there. So I think of that as a form of activism.
2: That's really cool. Deep that's deep. Yeah, it is
0: very deep because it's like when you heal, you 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 can't <clears throat> you can't be taken advantage of. You can't be manipulated, right? Because you you have your own mind. You can think for yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Right. It's like a Pandora's box. Like once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Um, right. Once you are yourself to experience the truth, mm-hmm. um, you you can go back to living alive. But that's just like that's yeah. pretty hard to <laughs> do, um, especially once you know like freedom is available to you Mm
2: -hmm. that's that's powerful i think two words that you said struck me um, stuck out to me when you um you was giving your rant was um freedom i think freedom is and also rebellion i think naturally i think you make a good point that um naturally the status quo is not to be healed or to not even pursue the path of healing Mm -hmm. the the natural progression that people in society well from from the outside, as looking at Black communities, for us to stay in those spaces and just kind of act out on those emotions from a very hurt, hurt place, but also from a very subjugated place. And when I saw your quote, like it just made me really think because, like you said, it's um, it's very relieving to actually deal with those emotions. They're very hard, and a lot of people in our communities do not necessarily want to like go through that because it feels like, well, we we didn't necessarily sign up for this. So doing the hard work and actually having to uplift ourselves or pull ourselves up from the bootstrap emotionally, not even from like an economic standpoint, from an emotional sense, it feels like, well, the, like the people that subjugated us should have to do this for us. And I think healing is a very individualistic thing, but the communal sense of bringing that symbiosis together is what uplifts all of us in general. But whenever we talk about racial like relations in America, we always seem to leave out like the psychology of things behind it. So for you, why was that so important? Why, like, because a lot of times you could have a psychology degree and you could look at it from like a personal position of like, I'm just going to focus on everyone, anyone they throw at me. Why was that important to correlate it to your people and black people in general?
1: Um, Part of the reason is because of what you just said, like this was something that we were subjected to. Um, If we're thinking about it starting from transatlantic slave trade. So that's essentially where, you know, it's not our fight, right? But at the same time it is. Um, And we've taken on that fight and we've been subject to that fight for so long. And um, I think it's also played into our identities a lot. Um, And our ability, I think from a systemic standpoint, our abilities to even one, be proud of who we are, um, to embrace who we are completely, to show up as ourselves and all of our glory in every space that we inhabit, it's always been placated in so many ways. Um, Our identities have been hidden. There's been this like idea of invisibility, um, right? Like our experience as black people um, has really been invisible unless it's something that's accepted by the dominant culture then there are certain aspects of it that are visible and certain aspects of it that are our stories that are actually acknowledged. Um, so you can't keep one piece and then throw the rest away. So what I think that ends up doing is you have a very like cheese grater sense of self, right? Like there's all these holes in you. You're never an integrated whole. Um, and so I think that bleeds into our our psyche um, over time. There's been lots and lots, and lots of research. You know, this is not my, it's my original thoughts, but how it's been researched over time. And so I really want to be a part of that. Um, I recognize how my own healing came from therapy and from, you know, getting down into the deep of things. And so I really want to be a part of that and do my part.
0: That's awesome. How, how hard would you say it is? Like, if you were to to describe it, to be able to heal? Like, like how would you describe it? Like, is it it something that you could just do overnight? Or is it something that's like, you really have to, like, take time out your schedule to really focus on this?
1: Healing is individualized, for sure. Um, It is not something that you do overnight. I personally believe it's a lifelong journey um, because it's not just healing, but, you know, growing, evolving as a person. And sometimes to get from one level to the next, you have to unlearn some things, you have to relearn some things. Um, and I think you just kind of heal your, your true self in a way. Um, but no, it's, it's ugly. It's messy. Like we like to throw around this like pop culture term of self care and like, go get your nails done, go buy a new outfit, you know, and that's awesome. And I think it's a part of it. It can be. But I think also you can't have that and forego your trauma. You can't forego your um, the abuse. You can't forego your internalized racism or, you know, lack of understanding for yourself, forgiveness. Like you can't forego those things. At the same, and try to do self care, and let that be it. So. Yeah,
0: it's like it's like there's this big pink polka dotted elephant in the room, but you're just not even paying attention to it. You're like, ah, it's it's not really there. You know what I'm saying? You're just going about your day, and just you see it though. You or see it. See
1: it. it has, um, <laughs> or like a wig on it, or
0: whatever. right,
2: right, or like this up, yeah,
1: yeah, Just a
2: piggy piggyback off that was um i think it was good that you made a point where like healing and growth is not this thing where we're like converging towards perfection it's not like we get to this um climax or um whatever you want to call it i think it's like you said it's a lifelong thing and every day we tweak things and find different things that trigger us or find different things from our past that we didn't even know and that's like from my personal journey just from like um doing our own self-work or whatever. But you also made a great point where society has created this perception that, like, self-care is this, like, you're in a field of butterflies and <laughs> roses and a lot of times self-care is really, really hard and it's triggering and it hurts. And and like, to flow back on your other point of, like, it's also an individual thing because sometimes our um, shortcomings as Black people get lumped into this whole group. So naturally, when we, um like, when we fail we sometimes take it even harder because it's like there's stereotypical things and like racial undertones that flow with black people um being expected to fail so i think that's why sometimes we just we're a little too tough on ourselves as black people because society has lumped us all in one bucket and like oh well this black guy did this then they're all criminals or they're all this or they're all that so Mm -hmm. take that to heart sometimes you know
0: well, let's let's talk a little bit about where that comes from too, though, right? Like, and we can that kind of flows into the next seg- segment of epigenetics, right? I think you know that kind of plays into it. So, um, we 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 talked about the book last last time, last episode about you know post traumatic slave syndrome, and I talked about you know those those segments by epigenetics, you know, about how you know certain environments and certain um, you know triggers can can um, cause your body to express certain genes that were already there, but because of the environment that you're in can then not bring it up right I brought up an an example about you know having twins who you know grew up in the same household but one ended up becoming like an alcoholic and one didn't and they both had the same in you know, similar genes not you know they both had similar genes but because they grew up in different environments; those environments, and you know, uh, things of that nature, triggered uh, those genes to be able to express in certain ways. Um, like, what could you say to that? What could you add to like how? How do you see that?
1: Um, well, first, I think you did a great job uh, defining it um, or explaining it in layman's terms. Um, I would say as far as like the field of psychology goes, it's one of the main connections to intergenerational trauma um, and transgenerational trauma, that and as far as how um, trauma can be passed down from um, generation to generation or within families or within a culture, um, and then how that, that trauma ends up becoming expressed behaviorally, but based on the epigenetics piece, that's where it starts like more biologically and genetically Um, and how you can be predisposed to different health conditions. um, And you add that on top of systemic issues, uh, oppression, um, food deserts, lack of access to resources and things like that, and see how those things can continue to to perpetuate over time and and down the course of uh, generations, despite how far we've come technologically or how advanced we are and things like that.
2: So, Amaka, um, you did a really good job explaining it. So I think you got your PhD as well, fam. But uh, <laughs> but. Um, so how does like for you just been since you've been in that field and also just like you've talked about it a little bit, but also just being like growing up in your culture in Memphis and all that. How were ways like specific ways you saw um, trauma or that manifestation of um, the unwillingness to heal in our community play out to you?
1: Um, sometimes, I, you know, I want to say it's an unwillingness, but I also feel like there's just a lack of knowing lack of awareness to it. So like, for example, in my family, I have a strong uh, female presence. It's a very, I come from a very matriarchal um, background and family system. And so the women in my family can often take on a very strong caretaking role um, where in turn, they don't pay very much attention to what they're experiencing, their emotions, very difficult expressing their emotions or being vulnerable and kind of really hyper-focus, um, onto other people. Right. And let let me, instead of being a human being, I'm going to be a human doing and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be all over the place. I'm going to sacrifice myself. Right. Um, and so what that does or did is we also have a history of a lot of chronic illnesses, um, heart disease, Uh, diabetes, things like that. And so I think from an emotional standpoint, that part plays a role um, in not taking care of of your your body uh, and things like that. But then also the the genetic piece from just what I've learned going down through the years and the type of access to food that they had, my grandmother and great-grandmother had growing up Um, the type of living conditions that they had, um, the types of cancers and things like that. So just like all of that stuff and the way stress also impacts that. Um, Stress is what kind of turns the gene on or off in many instances, not just environment. Um, And so holding a lot of that stress internally will trigger Certain uh, physiological responses, right? Um, heart disease, uh, heart attacks, things like that, um, as well as racism. Um, there's a lot of big link between racism and uh, physical health as well. So I think a lot of that just compounds on one another. Um, and at least for me in my experience, that's one way that I've seen it manifest.
2: Yeah, and I like I was listening to Andrew Yang a couple months ago when he was like um, talking about like his universal base income um, policy or whatever, and he made an like interesting point that made me think. There's like if you're poor, it actually lowers your functional IQ points by 13 points because it actually takes up a lot of your mental bandwidth, yeah. and the trauma that comes from poverty or just being at the bottom of the totem pole is something we don't talk about enough, and like a lot of times our communities or impoverished a lot of times, majority of the time. So like I, when I was younger or like in the past, before I started learning about these things, I never thought about how it led to diseases or led to crime or led to things of that nature. I always thought about it from like a space of like, well, those things just happen, you know? So I think the more we dig into science, the more we dig into things of this nature, the more we understand people, but also the more we understand um, ways that we can liberate ourselves as people as well, as a group as well, so.
0: I know for a fact that if you're listening and you've been to college, you've experienced co- you've experienced poverty at least once in your life. And even if you haven't experienced poverty, you probably know somebody else who has experienced poverty before. So to go a little deeper into what Vic was just saying, there was an article that was uh, downloaded from sciencemag.org. And this website was actually started uh, with some of the seed money from Thomas Edison. So they're a really credible site. They've been around since the 1800s, 1880 to be exact. So the authors of the research article essentially stated that poverty reduces our cognitive functions. So according to the article, we have a limited capacity for cognitive functions and cognitive functions like memory, uh, reasoning and logic, problem solving, linguistics, things of that nature. And through some of the experiments that these researchers used, it was able to portray how when somebody is in poverty, um, whether it's situational poverty, whether you just lost your job or whether you have been living in poverty, that because you're so consumed with the financial problems that you have, it actually reduces your ability to focus on other things. Just as an air traffic controller focusing on a potential collision course is prone to neglect other planes in the air, the poor, when attending to monetary concerns, lose their capacity to give other problems their full consideration. Now, some of you may listen to this and be like, okay, so what's the issue? What, how is this relevant? What this research does is it allows us to understand the impoverished areas of our society. It also helps us to understand uh, from a scientific standpoint and a psychological standpoint, why crime rates go up so high in the hood, for example, than in other areas. It's not necessarily because these people have an innate trait to be violent, right? Granted, some might, but the biggest issue based on this Um, based on this research, is that when you are overly concerned with trying to make sure that you survive and to be able to maintain and keep resources that can help you survive, your cognitive functions are going to be impaired, which will cause you to make faulty decisions. In the case of Black Americans in America, the situation is more triggering because there have been systemic, um, there have been systemic uh, ways in which Black Americans have been Kept oppressed and have been kept in these same situations, in these same environments, low economic uh, environments for generations. All this to say is that next time you see somebody on the news, specifically a black person who may have committed a crime, who came from a poor neighborhood, don't just make the assumption that this person is a bad person. Take into consideration epigenetics, his environment, how poverty actually affects. Um, cognitive functions and decision making skills and when you're able to consider a multitude of functions you're able to then break down your own bias and and your own uh, stereotypical way in which how you see not just black Americans but anybody in general especially in these situations and it'll help you become a little bit more humane and empathize with with people a lot more Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you're making a really valid point because that's the um, awareness piece, right? We can, and that bit of invisibility where our stories are placated so much where it's like, but this, but if you just work really hard, but my dad came from a really tough background and he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and he made a multi million dollar company. Well, we went to the same school and we got the same degree, but why did you end up this way and I ended up this way? Like, there are so many more nuances, and mm. and internally we can internalize that. Well, dang, we're not working hard enough, or mm. we're not doing good enough, or we're not doing well enough. Especially when everyone around you is like, "What are you talking about? What mm. do you mean? That doesn't have an effect." It makes you invisible, makes a part of your story invisible, and you don't even think that it's important. And so one part of liberation psychology one part of just therapy in general and healing is to change that narrative and normalize like, no, your experience is valid, your experience is good enough to be talked about and discussed, and your experience has a whole lot to do with you know, how, why you've experienced some of the things that you've experienced or why you're having these types of issues maybe compared to your other counterparts.
0: Yeah. And I think to add to what you're saying as far as like the different nuances, I think it's a faulty way of thinking as human beings to think that like it's only one reason why a person is the way they are, right? And, and I think that just comes with with just maturity and just awareness where you you, you go from thinking, oh, this person is... This way, because they're black. To oh no, this has been like generational events, and you know they may they may be a low SES, they may not be educated, they may not have access to resources. Like then you just branch into all these different things, and then kind of like build the puzzle to where you're not able to see the whole person. Like okay, it's not just your skin color; it's all the things that's behind you, right? And it's like so like, you know when you're walking down the street and you know, a a branch randomly falls on your head. (laughs) And it's like, you don't just think, oh, the branch just fell. Like, no, like the seed had to have been planted in that tree literally maybe hundreds of years ago. Yeah. It had had to be, you know, rain had to be in good soil, it had to be, the wind had to blow in a specific way. The tree had to grow in a specific way. The sun, does it make sense? The environment had to do so many specific things that we don't even know hundreds of millions of things for that one branch to just fall in your head at that specific time. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, 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 you know, it, when you bring that to humanity, you know, when, when people, you know, steal or do certain things, you're just like, it's, it's, it's more than that. You know what I'm
2: saying? As well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you made a great point about like maturity. I think naturally both of us have been on the other side where we're like, well, My dad worked 200 hours and did three backflips every day. Now he made it out. And we're like, do we really want somebody else to have to go through that? You know what I'm trying to say? So I think maturity is super important, but also just taking your ego out of the equation. I think naturally, um, a lot of times in society, we see people that want to extrapolate their experience to the whole world. And if they don't see, no. obstacles then that means you don't have any obstacles and i think that's just a very selfish egotistic thing to do and i think it all flows off compassion and empathy and just understanding more and the more knowledge you get the more open and the more open you are to knowledge the more um, perspective you get and like for example one of my um one of my close friends um jake he's he was listening to our podcast last week and he like sent me a message like yo i never knew about this epigenetics thing and i sent it to you emeka and he's a white dude um, yeah. like he's white white like I'm talking about yeah. he's white. So, <laughs> but that's the homie so he was like he never like he never heard about epigenetics and he was super interested in that so I think a lot of times it's just like pushing people towards the right direction to learn information because this was things I didn't necessarily know myself and I'm in the culture so it's important that people outside the culture learn about it as well because then they they're more willing to validate our experience because like Jasmine said that invisibility it's a very um, tough pill to swallow sometimes because it's just like, well, damn, like no more really cares, So why should I care? You know? And there's a lot of nihilism that goes in our communities that flows off that thinking, you know?
1: <laughs> our culture is definitely, you know, it's like we're getting to a point where we are starting to really learn more about these things and about ourselves um, and about some of the, the the traumas and the things like that, but also even on a grander scheme, where, like you said, people from other cultures are also starting to be held accountable to how this system has even gotten to the point that it is. Why is it to, continually folding in on itself? Um, why is it embedded so deeply into so many different areas? Um, and that's one way of dismantling you know, oppression and internalized oppression is like, y- you take the self-hate off of yourself in a lot of ways, where it's just like, man, I'm just not good enough, or man, this is just too difficult, or I, I can never get ahead, or things like that. And you actually start to see what systems are at play and that have been at play, embedded in our socio-political climate, embedded in our our own families, but also embedded in the systems that we, we've grown up in um, that are way beyond us. Right. You know, we think we're in such an advanced society. Like, we're not back in the 1800s picking cotton. Like, why should we be dealing with these same things? Like, this is crazy, but it's there. Mm -hmm. So it's important to bring awareness to it. And I think y'all are doing awesome at doing that and starting Mm -hmm. the conversation.
0: Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. So I think I think that flows into identity, right? Cultural identity. Mm -hmm. and. And that, that, was in, that was a part of our conversation, again, from last episode, where we talked about reconnecting to the roots, right? We talked about the grafting analogy of, you know, grafting, you know, stems to roots and the importance of just reconnecting back to where you came from. But the problem is, like, so much history has been lost, right, for various reasons. But how would you describe, like, the Black identity developmental process? from a psychologist
1: perspective. Okay. Um, So I have this awesome text. Um, It's from uh, Comas Diaz. And um, it's basically like the, what is it? The Multicultural um, Care um, and Clinician's Guide to Culture. And so essentially, some of the ways that it's she talks about it specifically is a few stages. So there's conformity, there's dissonance, resistance, immersion um, introspection and then synergism. And so one, the first stage, of course, is conformity. And so that's where individuals actually internalize racism and they choose values and lifestyles of the dominant culture the dominant group. So I ideally that then evolves over time into synergism, which is your the individual's experience and sense of self-fulfillment toward their racial, ethnic, and cultural identity. They without having to categorically accept their minorities group values. So there's this progression across that that vein. And so the internalized racism and oppression is my group is inherently bad. Everything around me tells me and reinforces the idea that my group is bad. If I align with the dominant group, then I will no longer be categorized by the minority group. I won't be seen in a negative or bad light. Um, Anything that I do that reflects that minority group value or group think makes me inherently bad Um, or I look at myself negatively. So it's like it's almost like I put myself under the lens of the dominant group in order to try to merge or mold myself into being more like them. That will make me less bad.
0: That should make you look at Candace Owens a little differently,
2: don't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a good one. <laughs> a funny story, though. So my homie Noah. Um, <laughs> so he was like he's reading a couple of books and he's like. Guess what book I'm reading, and I, like, I was like, I don't know. Like he was like Candace Owen. He was like, man, she's just so annoying, bro. <laughs> and he was like, man, she's just so obnoxious. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, she's not my favorite character to be honest. But um, right, right, each right. Stone, right. We all like, we all need different perspectives in Black culture as well. I don't think we all should think the same, but there's a little bit of self hate going there. In, for sure, for sure. I, I can, I
0: can see that a little bit. I can see that a little bit.
1: If you imagine, right, like you you were implanted, transplanted from one culture where you were superior um, to another culture where based on by proxy, you were now considered to be inferior. But that was never your initial mental understanding of your of your own identity. Right. Mm -hmm. So there comes all this different level of kind of acculturation that comes with that But versus black Americans who grew up or even you know, those who are first generation or second generation immigrants that grew up in America, there's a whole different sense of it's already kind of ingrained in you that you are inferior. And you see that being, um, you see that being reinforced in the spaces that you go, you go Mm -hmm. into as far as maybe being the only black person, black or brown person in a space or Ethnic hair products, your things are very marginalized versus everyone else is kind of normed, you know, and you're kind of put into a certain category. Um, all, you know, historically and all the things that come with that, where it's just constantly reinforced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does require a lot of unlearning um, and reestablishing your own strength in your race and your own strength in your culture and creating that for yourself uh, and owning it. Mm-hmm. even if it's still not accepted.
2: Yeah, that's that's powerful. And just to flow on both on what both of y'all said, is like, I mean, I think it's interesting how as humans we shed like the crooks of our personality and our heritage and everything that makes us like us whenever we're in spaces that we feel inferior or we're told we're outliers or um, ostracized from dominant culture or domin- uh, dominance in any sense. And for me, Emeka, like made a good point how we've talked about it on the podcast when coming to America and um, going from a space where you're down, like, in a sense, you're everyone's whole. Then you come here and it's like, well, I don't necessarily want to tell people I'm African or like trying to assimilate to the culture in the sense of like negate, like negating and neglecting my culture. And also even in Nigeria, I just thought about this. just literally hit me right now when Emeka was talking about it. So like, naturally Emeka is your Ebo and Hauser, I mean, Igbo and Yoruba mixed, right? So. You can say that. Yeah, pretty much. So those are like two dominant like tribes: Igbo, Hausa, and Yoruba. And my tribe is like in the middle though, um, Kogi State, um, Nupe, whatever. And I remember even like growing up, I wouldn't necessarily want to embrace that fully because it wasn't part of like the three dominant um, cultures or like mm-hmm. three dominant tribes. So it's interesting how that even happens in the spaces where people look like you as well. It's like whatever society or perception of superiority is you try to like assimilate to that and neglect what you really are Hmm. so and just to segue to another point it's like so naturally for people i think we've talked about the theories and talked about how it affects people for people that want to necessarily go on the path of redemption how does that look like and in what ways would you push them to do that
1: well that's kind of a double like edge sword of a question i wouldn't push anyone you know like to to explore that, right? Because in it, it, healing is an individual process and everyone has their own journey and they may come to that at a different point in their life. But at the point in which they do, and even if they don't, specifically around race or around trauma or things like that, because sometimes people come for a totally different reason, um, is you start by kind of questioning, I think, what makes up you, what's made up your experiences and start dissecting those things, naming them. Naming is a really big thing um, because it actually makes whatever your experience is real.
0: I was saying, why is that? Why is what? Thinking, Why is naming important? But I think you just answered it.
1: Oh, yes. Um, it validates your experience and makes it real uh, versus like that. And it, it removes that invisibility off right. of it. Uh, Shines the light on it. hmm And so I one way is like a cultural analysis is as far as like a therapeutic term um, where we actually sit and, like you all were saying, as far as like, what tribes you come from and what were your personal values and when you're in different spaces now in America, um, what's similar, what's different, what, what do you bring with you into spaces and what have you learned when you're in maybe the classroom or when you're giving a, a speech or when you're talking on the, friend, on the phone with a friend, what's different and why? And so you start to ask the whys of a lot of your experience. um, And that gives you the opportunity just to really to open up some dialogue. Um, Also, healing is, like I said, individual, but people know how they need to heal. Um, And they have their own understanding of what healing means. So as a therapist, it's very important for me not to dictate how they heal but rather through that cultural analysis, like you can learn so much about a person. You can learn like, you know, if they have a really strong sense of like music or, you know, um, writing or orating or something like that to incorporate that into how they liberate themselves and how they choose to walk this journey uh, for themselves. So hopefully that removes a big stigma or stereotype of counseling that it's like someone telling me what to do or how to live my life. No, it's Mm -hmm. completely driven by the person yeah, that's
0: that's yeah. there. It it reminds me of, of a session I had with my therapist about about my identities and how I'm I think I'm I'm emerging into that that last point of synergism where I'm able to like synchronize or like converge my Nigerian being Nigerian and being American, right? And so being able to to understand the differences between those cultures and finding ways to like bring them together. And then being able to now identify as Nigerian-American, which is something I wasn't able to do for a long time, but um, w- which then reminded me of like W.E.B. Du Bois where we talk about double consciousness, right? And you know, how you still have your African side, your Nigerian side where, you know, you have your, cultures, your customs, traditions, just way of life and standards and values. But then you also have this new way of living, of being Americanized, right? Of, you know, of individualism and different values. And now you're finding ways to to merge those two. So I think therapy definitely helps with with that and naming it like you said, and and at least with this aspect, um, to be able to like merge the two together. I think merge your identities together.
2: Yeah, that's powerful. And yeah, I think I think it's important that you brought up the because I think I framed the question wrongly. I think it was important how you brought up, like you switched it into like the subjectivity of like healing. And I, I never thought about it like this where you said people know how they should heal. And I think naturally that's that's true. I think naturally we all know things that bring us equ- equanimity and peace and make us feel better. And I just never thought about it from the sense of like um, finding like therapy is not like a one size fits all. It's kind of like finding your little niche and finding little things that, um, amplify your human experience and makes it that more interesting and that more peaceful. And just to flow off that, like, do you think it's important for like, um, black people to have black therapists? Cause me and Emeka had this conversation when we were like, like going into the therapy field and, um, kind of just bouncing ideas off him and. Trying to get into therapy, not trying to be therapist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not nah, not trying to be therapist. Yeah, but um, yeah, like just when we first started like taking therapy and making that first step, and it was like a question. I was like, "Oh, do we? Do I think that's important?" So, do you, like, what is your um, what is your opinion on that?
1: Wonderful point. So glad you asked. <laughs> um... So it's the, the concept of ethnic matching um, within therapy is something that's been also very well researched and it really depends, I think it's a personal choice. It depends on where people are in their racial identity development, right? If you feel like, for example, you are really not fooling with white folks you know, like they're part of the reason why you're coming into therapy. Um, You like somebody just like did something to you the other day, right? Like you really don't know how to like talk to them without getting angry. On one hand, could it be beneficial at some point? Absolutely to have a white therapist or to have a therapist of of another culture, but maybe to begin with, maybe not so much. Um, and some, some reasons why I hear from clients, why ethnic matching is important to them is because they feel like they don't want to have to explain their experience constantly, or they have to define all the terms and explain what something means. Like they feel on some sense, like being with another therapist, they, that is the same identity as them that like, there's this sense of knowing of just understanding. Right. Um, and so i personally think that it should be given uh, room to the uh, client to choose and i want to say plug that you can choose or make a preference for who you would like to be with if you like a therapist of color a female therapist um, an lgbtq therapist like whatever you can make that that choice and
0: yeah preference. i think it's really cool those are those a point in my therapy session and i i was trying to describe while i was i was describing the activities of a hood nigga and I just <laughs> said, good nigga. And she understood. She, she, so I, I didn't have to explain like, more.
2: She was like, I got you. Don't worry about it. You know,
0: there's, there's something cool about that. I was like, oh. yeah,
2: for sure.
1: Nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I've just, I've, like you said, I've had similar experiences where like, let's say something was going on at work or whatever, where I just like, literally just told her one little bit of it and she just naturally knew. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, like you said, you don't want to be exper- like constantly explaining something to somebody that's supposed to lead you in the right direction. Right. You know I mean? So it's it would just it probably would just get frustrating. For me, I have a black therapist and it works perfectly for me because it just there's more of like a racial understanding there, for lack of a better word, I guess.
0: For sure. My my very first therapist was white. And it was just it was just a disconnect. And I couldn't just I couldn't explain it. But I just knew I just didn't connect with her like that. Like she she was a very, very nice woman. I just, I just didn't feel the connection. Right. But then when I went to the black therapist, it was just like, okay, like I was, I was more willing to show up to more meetings because it was like, I was talking to like a friend like mm-hmm. a sister or something like that. Right. Cause she looked like me, I looked like her mm-hmm. and she understood, you know, for, the, right. for a lot of the parts. Yeah.
1: That empathy, that shared understanding, um, mm-hmm. And, and you think, don't feel
0: like she's judging either.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, it just really does d- depend on where you are, you know, right. and you know yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it's just not helpful. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Um, so I've had a white therapist, I've had a, um, a Brazilian therapist um, and it was excellent. You know, was she Afro Latina. I don't think she identified as Afro Latina. Um, but, uh, definitely felt like at least person of color, there was this sense of identification and understanding as mm-hmm. well, where, where there were some ways that she can merge her cultural identity and things that were salient in her culture, that there could mm-hmm. be a bridge built between what yeah. was salient and mine as well.
0: It's actually really similar. Um, Latin, Latin culture and, and African and black culture is pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so Lasting to leave us with jazz. Sure. What's What's one good piece of advice from a psychologist and a therapist and a counselor that you would give um, a, a person of color going through this healing process of reconnecting with the roots, um, maybe trying to heal from uh, transgenerational trauma mm-hmm. um, or just Trying to be a better person. What's 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 a good good piece of advice you can give them?
1: I will say um, one: it's uh, give yourself some grace. Be graceful with yourself, compassionate with yourself. Um, It's not easy, right? I'm sure we all kind of understand that on some level. So, do things that bring joy. Recognize that you have so much light and joy already you know embedded within you um it's just about cultivating it and and acting upon it um but also that it's all worth it like to to do this work um do it in the time that you need to do it Uh, it is a lifelong journey so of course pace yourself but i think it's it's beautiful i personally believe believe that and and i hope that on some level whether it's within therapy outside of therapy amongst friends whatever that we all are are striving towards that moving in that direction um, of wholeness
0: give yourself some grace i think that's like the biggest one Mm
1: -hmm. some grace
0: we we can definitely be hard on on ourselves it's a bar (laughs) so jazz where can they find you
1: oh find me
0: (laughs) if they want to Hit you up in your in your messages, be like, hey, I listened, I listened to your episode. This is dope. Had a couple questions about this, this, and that, or hey, I, I want to know where I can find a therapist. Like what, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, my Instagram, I have an Instagram, J underscore P H I L I. And I know this is so old school, but being in academia. My space? I'm just playing. <laughs> my email, you can email me. <laughs> <laughs> because it's easier sometimes than social media
2: I to say you could page me or something
1: <laughs> I hope to get a pager soon
2: <laughs>
1: but yes my email is jasmine.mcghee mcghee at uga.edu not hotmail not hotmail <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be funny <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well hey thank you so much jasmine for coming out uh great
1: coming to the village thank you
0: yes to the village speaking I, really, to us. I like that i like how that sounds yes i think this is really valuable so thank you for that
1: thank you guys
0: and that my friends is a wrap okay when i don't finish i'll be hot Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This really does help engagement and allows other people to be able to check out our awesome content. And also follow us on social media, Instagram to be specific at V-L-L-G-B-O-Y-Z. And most definitely and more importantly, we shall catch you on the next episode. Oh yeah, vamos.